This archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Last year, I renovated my New York City apartment. What started as an attempt to simply choose new living room furniture burgeoned into an entire home redesign spanning nearly nine months with one new project beginning another and then another. My best friend, Susan Benjamin, an Emmy-nominated set decorator, handled the redesign. I have never redecorated a home before, and after 10 years in what was ostensibly a college apartment, forget the fact that I graduated college over two decades ago, I decided it was time to perhaps try and live like an adult. Because I have four pets and didn't want to uproot or board them through the experience, we all suffered through the dust and the debris and the demolition. For two weeks last February, I even had to trek through the snow and frigid New York City temperatures in my bathrobe and sneakers to use my generous neighbor's shower while mine was being replaced. It was a grueling experience. In that time, I became so obsessed with faucets, floor tiles, door hinges, and sofa fabric that at night I often dreamt of sinks and toilets and bathtubs, or better yet, a myriad of floor tiles. This was my first experience working with a designer. Albeit a different discipline, this designer also exhibited many of the same traits as us graphic designers. She was headstrong, opinionated, finicky, elitist, and a complete perfectionist. She was also frequently right, sometimes impatient, often with me, and often baffled by my lack of interior design knowledge. And until she pointed it out for me, I couldn't quite understand why it was not really necessary for me to ask my dog walker for her opinion of the color of the grout for the kitchen backsplash. This experience has made me far more aware of my surroundings and beauty and comfort than I have ever been before. Sue has not been satisfied with anything less than perfect, and nothing ever seems to be perfect. This has impressed me. It's confounded me, and it surprised me throughout our arduous journey together. I've been far more forgiving of the contractor's failings than she has, and I couldn't understand, and I still don't really, why she made the contractor who installed the glass wall in my entryway take the damn thing down because she chose a half-inch stainless steel border instead of a three-quarter-inch one, and he made a mistake. But I guess this is her art, her creation, and she wants it to be flawless. I've experienced this before over and over, probably daily in fact, in the business of graphic design. All of the designers I work with are on the same quest, the perfect layout, the perfect logo, a most perfect label design. But who makes that call? Who determines perfection? Ultimately, I think your heart does. You know deep down when something feels right, when it makes your heart sing, your head swoon, and when no matter what, even with imperfections, you wouldn't want to change a thing. I think it is the same with our houses, our homes, our apartments, our tiny corners of the universe. 
There is no place you feel safer, no place more intimate. And in the immortal words of Dorothy, just no place, no place like home. Today's show is all about our homes and the way we choose to live. I am so thrilled and honored to have four extraordinary guests on my show today. The documentary filmmaker Jay Gorst, the esteemed architect Andrew Geller, author and filmmaker Alistair Gordon, and philanthropist and collector David Shearer. Let me tell you all about them, and I'm going to try to make this quick, otherwise I could conceivably read their bios for the entire show, dear listeners. Jake Gorst is the head of Janomac Productions, a documentary film production company. Film contributions include the direction of an animated sequence for the film Keeping It Alive by Murray Bruce Productions, associate production on Andrew Geller, A Spatial Encounter, and Beyond the Beach, The Life and Work of Norman Jaffe. Gorst was also a regular scriptwriter for Doug Llewellyn's Close-Up TV News in 2004, and he recently wrote and directed the documentary film Leisurama, which we will be talking about today. Andrew Geller's love for the natural beauty and the environment that surrounds him has inspired some of the most imaginative and visionary architectural forms of the 20th century. For 35 years, Geller was the director of design and senior vice president of Raymond Lowy Associates in New York. One of his projects, the Lever House, a New York City landmark, marked its 50-year anniversary in 2001. During the 1950s, he began to create unique summer houses for the waterfront communities of the Hamptons and Fire Island. His innovative homes, designed to complement the surroundings, featured imaginative use of space. They were economical, easy to construct, and easy to seal up at the end of the season. His prototype A-frame house was ideal for the vacation home in the mountains or the shore. New York Times press coverage of this house gained national attention and has spawned thousands of copies worldwide. Alistair Gordon is an award-winning critic, author, and filmmaker. He is a regular contributor to the New York Times, as well as Vanity Fair, the New York Observer, Le Monde, the International Herald Tribune, and Town and Country. He's the author of several magnificent books, including the recently published Naked Airport, A Cultural History of the World's Most Revolutionary Structure, and the soon-to-be-published Romantic Modernist, the life and work of Norman Jaffe, architect. He is also the author of Weekend Utopia, Modern Living in the Hamptons, Beach Houses, Andrew Geller, and co-author of American Dream, The Houses at Zagaponic. In conjunction with his public, published works, Gordon has also produced several documentary films. And prior to becoming director of Exhibitions International, David Shearer was the founder and president of Totem Design Group, totemdesign.com, and the design journal Totem. David is a collector and a philanthropist with a special interest in contemporary design. He has been instrumental in the introduction of young designers from Europe and the U.S. to a wide audience. Through public seminars, design competitions, and an ongoing program of exhibitions, David has given these designers their much-deserved exposure and has furthered his mission to broaden the appreciation and the appeal of good design. Welcome, gentlemen. It is an honor to have you as my guests, as, as my wonderful and esteemed guests on Design Matters. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Jake, I'd like to start with you. Tell us about your documentary film, Leisurama. Tell us everything. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's, uh, you're, you're, that's a mouthful there. Yes, it um, is. Well, let's see. Leisurama was a housing project 
that was done in the early 1960s, started in 1963. Uh, they were houses that were designed in Raymond Lowy's office by Andrew Geller, and they were built by a company called Allstate Properties. And they were sold through Macy's Department Store, and they came completely furnished down to the toothbrush. Um, so in other words, you could go into Macy's, you could walk through a model home, a life-size model home, and you could pick the colors of your, your furniture, your plates, your walls, it, everything. Put down a deposit on your credit card. Tell, tell us how much the houses cost back then. Oh, well, the base price for one of those houses was $12,995. So for $12,990, you could get your very own home in Montauk, completely furnished. That's right. Everything down to the toothbrush. So you conceivably could leave your home in Manhattan and take a drive out to Montauk, just bring your clothes, and you were all set. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, so go on. Tell us some more, please. Okay, well, um, originally I set out to do a film about Andrew Geller, who many know is my grandfather. Yes. I uh, was doing some research down at the Hagley Museum down in Wilmington, Delaware. They have a large collection of Raymond Lowy materials there. And I found a book that was full of newspaper clippings about Leisurama and uh, just thought, well, hey, this is a very interesting subject. I think there's enough to do a short film on it. And we started working on it. It's amazing how much information came out of the woodwork. It's it's not a 20-minute film (laughs) at this point. It turned into a feature film. And uh, let's see, it's been three years in the making, and it's been quite an adventure. And now it's going to be broadcast on PBS. When is it going to be broadcast? It's going to be on WNET Channel 13 on August uh, August 25th, 8 o'clock, August 28th at 7 o'clock, and that's the initial broadcast, and uh, we will be having broadcasts probably all summer and fall all over the place. So what was the process of doing this film like? First of all, how did you get the funding for it? Well, I actually approached, first of all, the Long Island chapter of the AIA and told them about the project and actually got in touch with an architect named Joseph Scarpula, who's very good architect on the north shore of Long Island, and he was a past president and of the AIA, and he uh, said, yeah, this is a great idea. You know, the AIA's been looking to support projects like this, and so he brought it up to the board, and they agreed that they'd want to be involved. So really, the, the Long Island chapter of the AIA got the ball rolling on the project. And then and over time, um, you know, we, we got funding from various other sources. And are you pleased with the results? I mean, is is this something that is going to uh, be something that you're constantly tweaking, or did you finally put it to bed and say, you know, this is the final cut? Well, I think we have the final cut at this point. Um, Before broadcast, I still have some color correction, and I just found out that PBS is uh, now requiring closed captioning on all of their programming, so that's something I have to take care of before the broadcast, but... um, I'm moving on. I mean, I'm, we're working on a couple other films now, at, you know, as well. So um, it's always going to be busy. Now, for those listeners that might not be able to catch the premiere on television, is there another way for them to be able to see the film? 
There will be screenings all over the place. Um, I don't have the exact dates in front of me right now, but um, if you if you take a look at the website, the dates will be posted. Um, well, you, have to tell us, you have to tell our listeners about the website. Give, us, give the, our listeners the website address. Sure, yeah. The, the website address for the moment is explodedview.tv slash leisurama. Um, and, and we will keep that URL, but as we get closer to the broadcast, I'll be getting something a little bit simpler <laughs> to remember. But that's explodedview.tv slash leisurama. We'll have the dates posted there. Wonderful. Well, we're about to go to a break. I'd like to let everyone know that they are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Millman, and my guests today are the documentary filmmaker Jay Gorst, the esteemed architect Andrew Geller, author and filmmaker Alistair Gordon, and philanthropist and collector David Shearer. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. Listening to the bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On managing technology the right way, we'll talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its associated risks. Heard every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Sun Jogal, the host of Managing Technology the Right Way, will interview business leaders and other experts that have shaped the way we use technology. If you want to keep up with the changing world of technology, listen to Managing Technology the Right Way with Sunjo Gall every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time right here on BusinessAmericaRadio.com. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker, The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, The Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk, heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, businessamericaradio.com. Think you've got a grip on the profit potential your property has? Tune in to voiceamerica.com Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Commercial Real Estate 101 with Dennis Manning. Dennis will teach you the ins and outs of the massive world of real estate. You will learn the rewards and pitfalls of why to invest in commercial real estate. You'll also hear from experts in property management, lending, title work, tax-deferred exchanges, legal issues, and many entrepreneurial investors. The best part? You'll learn to generate a regular income that will lead to enticing capital gains. So don't miss one moment of Commercial Real Estate 101 with Dennis Manning, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, right here on voiceamerica.com. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll-free at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, that's 1-866-233-7861. And now, back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back there, listeners. It is 3.18 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the AIT Leadership Retreat in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 
I'm your host, Debbie Melman. My guests today are the documentary filmmaker, Jake Gorst, the esteemed architect, Andrew Geller, author and filmmaker, Alistair Gordon, and philanthropist and collector, David Shearer. If you'd like to join our conversation, and here's your chance to talk to Andrew Geller directly, if you have a question for any of us, please call 1-866-233-7861. So for those of uh, my listeners that might not have noticed, the common denominator, obviously, in, in today's show is Andrew Geller, and there's really no better um, overall dialogue and look at Andrew Geller than in Alistair Gordon's incredible book, Beach House's Andrew Geller. And... Alistair, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about the book. First of all, what made you decide to do this book in the first place? Well, it came out of another book I wrote that was published in 2000 called Weekend Utopia. Yes. Modern Living in the Hamptons, which Princeton Architectural Press published. And we, I had a whole chapter about Andy Geller in that book, and there was such an enormous response to, you know, who was this guy and where, you know, where did he come from and how was he forgotten and, and the point of that book had been, you know, to really highlight all this great, very small-scale, low-key, ephemeral kind of beach architecture of the 50s and 60s that had been built in, on Long Island. And I grew up, I mean, I'm still, I'm sitting in the house my parents built at that period, a beach house. And to me, that was the essence of, you know, summer and very low-key, and the house would be shut up in September. And, you know, there was no sort of great attempt to show off to the neighbor. So I got to know Andy when I did an exhibition out here, I think in 1986 or 87, called Long Island Modern. So I went back to that, and he was just someone I, first of all, admired as an architect, but also became good friends with. And he was not very well known, in that, and especially in the 80s, you know, in the booming sort of postmodern period. So Prince Architectural Press said, you know, would you be interested in doing another book and focusing just on Geller? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So that's how that's how that happened. Now, in the book, you refer to Mr. Geller as someone who never quite fit in with the architectural mainstream, and I'm quoting you here, a wild man with a T-square, as one publication put it. Um, and you go on to write that Geller made his career rebelling against conventional house forms, attacking both the traditional pitched roof pile as well as the flat-roofed modern and modernist box, unsquaring the cube, as one journalist wrote, subverting it in every imaginable way by tilting it on its edge, skewing it, or crushing it altogether. Mr. Geller's mission, as he saw it, was to liberate the American vacation home. How did he do that? How did you do that, Mr. Geller? Tell us first how you did that, and then I'll get Alistair to comment on how you did it. Well, that's a good question, and uh, I'll try to answer the problem, it seemed to me, uh, with vacation houses, they they try to emulate uh, what you had in an apartment in the city. That was four walls and a flat ceiling. Reminded me of a cell, uh, and a vacation house was someplace uh, I felt that the occupant should be one with the outdoors uh, vacationing. Mm-hmm. Certainly, uh, the beach offered the uh, freedom of the sea, the sky, and the sand. And uh, that experience uh, should be taken advantage of in a vacation house. Uh, To emulate a city apartment uh, was not the direction to go. And so, uh, 
went the other way and uh, reverted back to uh, the old Indian, American Indian concept of uh, the tent and its flapped wings and open uh-huh. roof to the sky. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very beautiful and poetic. What was it like at the time to be considered such a rebel? Was it difficult for you? Was it something that you felt was hampering your work, or did it make you even more determined to do the kind of work that you wanted to do? Well, my best answer to that was I wasn't clever enough to to get involved uh, verbally. And uh, Were you aware of it? Were you aware of the reputation that you were... Developing for yourself? Not really. I was busy uh, working in New York full time. Uh, prior to that, I would be uh, prior to that day start. I would be out at four in the morning, uh, looking at the uh, site out in the Hamptons, uh, driving back to New York City, uh, putting in that full day, and then returning to my desk. It all seemed very natural, and of course, uh, having youth on my side at that time, uh, I had the energies. <laughs> I think I could do it now. Alistair and, and David, I'd like to both ask you to talk a little bit about Andrew Geller's impact on architecture today. Um, David, you want to go first? Sure. Well, I think uh, the impact has been somewhat subliminal because it was uh, uh, limited to a certain kind of geographic area, but it, but the uh, the ultimate kind of fallout from that um, affected many many architects uh, along the years, and and in fact a, a number of architects have kind of gone back and said that some of uh, Andrew's uh, beach house work you know, influenced their careers. So uh, you know I think it's kind of it's a it was a small point in time in a small geographic location, but it had a much broader impact um, than we really realized. Maybe uh, Alistair can speak to that a little bit better than I can. But sure, could you, Alistair? Yeah, well, I th- you know, I think that just the, the seriousness with, with which, especially vacation architecture was taken, and starting in the 80s and especially in the 90s, you know, of overbuilt, you know, these enormous mansions. Of course, that had a lot to do with the real estate prices. You know, when you spent 20 million on a oceanfront lot, you know, it was hard to justify building a, a you know, 2,000 square foot or under beach house. So that got out of hand. And then this appeal of, you know, smallness and simplicity came back very big sort of starting in the late 90s. And I think it really came to, I mean, I was writing a lot about it in the Times, too, just with, with young architects starting to look back at this period. And, you know, beyond just the mid-century modern craze, I think there was a feeling of, can we get away from the city and not bring all the baggage with us and just, you know, go back to this simple place? So in a, in a lot of ways it was nostalgic and romantic and not that realistic because considering the <laughs> the real estate prices, it was sort of undoable. But I do think Andy's work has had an impact on a, on definitely on a younger generation of architects in terms of, you know, the openness of the plan, getting away from the cube, you know, the classic sort of mid-century modernist cube and, and being more playful and just open. I, another quote from the book that I really loved, um, and you're writing here about Mr. Geller, a certain mistrust and contempt for authority was bred in Geller during the earliest years. In those days, everyone who was an Anglican was considered a bedwetting commie red. 
Can you elaborate for us on that a little bit, Alistair? Well, these are stories that Andy told me about his his father, and you know, he obviously grew up in a period of, of you know socialist, leftist, anarchist, you know, free thinking troublemakers, you know, from someplace else, and you know, so I always got that sense that Andy didn't really want to fit in, you know, and it wasn't even that he tried that hard, and I think the fact that he was quoted as, you know, an industrial designer, an architectural designer versus an architect um, had something to do with that, but it was also that he was working in a very corporate office all week long, and these this was, you know, his kind of party time. This was mm-hmm. like cut loose and do something as expressive and fun as possible during his weekend time, and this was his this was his play, you know, this was his uh, his leisure, his own leisure. So a lot of it came from that, but I do think it goes way back. And you, just, just things he said to me over the years when I would, would interview him or have lunch with him, I, you know, may, I, attracted me to him because I, I definitely have that myself. Just irreverence, you know, for, for the mainstream or for the authority. Well, you wrote in the book about driving through Montauk and Amagansett with Mr. Geller and as you searched for some of his creations, and you write, in a sense, we're looking for a lost period of civilization, a period of innocent expectation, a time of family beach picnics, coleslaw, bunk beds, and outdoor showers, before real estate prices skyrocketed, before the traffic was unbearable, and before the architecture became so pretentious. Gentlemen, I'd really like to ask you all, how did that happen? When did architecture start to get so pretentious? Um, who wants to start? Jake, you want to start? Oh, well, I think Alistair would be better to talk on that one. Okay. Uh, the Sumerians were the very pretentious. If you want to go way back. Pardon? I said the Sumerians were very pretentious, if you want to go way back. <laughs> Do you mean American summer architecture or just architecture in general? I would say, well, I guess I would say both because I think that the architecture that you see now in your sort of urban, upper middle class, urban, suburban neighborhood is, you know, the whole idea of McMansion. Yes, mansions, right. I mean, why do people need so much space? It's I mean, status, a family it's living in these monstrosities, you know, they're ostensibly living together, but essentially they're all living apart. Forget about kids having their own rooms. Now they have their own floors. Right. I think it's incredibly isolating and incredibly sad. And why do you think, I mean, aside from why is architecture, how has architecture become so pretentious, the second bigger question that I'd like to ask you all is why is our culture going in this direction? Money. You know, I think it's, can I speak? Yeah, please. I I think it's a whole other level of greed that we've never experienced before in this country, even in the, you know, the, the... the worst days of the pre-crash 20s. I think there's this level of one-upsmanship and showing off, and the best way to, you know, the easiest, fastest way to show off is with a huge house, you know, really pretentious, overbuilt house. It's very hard to show off your wealth in New York City because, you know, you can have a duplex apartment, whatever, but, you know, it can't bulge out over the street. Whereas out here, you know, the landscape's very low and inviting and the sky's dramatic and, you know, you can really stand out very, in, in, in a very conspicuous way. And it's really, it's really super conspicuous consumption, you know, to, to the nth degree. But it's also so incredibly ugly. I mean, you know, you want something that's beautiful, and then you, know, you, you these little wonderful houses in Westport, Connecticut, for example. I was driving around Westport, Connecticut, and houses are being torn down in droves, perfectly formed houses on these wonderful little lots, and the entire lot is then filled up with what looks like a shopping mall of home. 
you know, 18,000 square feet on, on a very small little lot. And I can't help but wonder what it is in our society that's propelling people to feel the need to express themselves in such an incredibly garish manner. The need to fill up their lives with something, you know, so they have these empty rooms that make them even more lonely, I'm afraid. <laughs> right. I mean, I think there's this, this incredible irony to this. Yeah. Um, Can I give like you an this. example of just something that just happened here down the beach from me here? I mean, I, I'm, I'm living in this, you know, in the summer in this tiny little beach house my parents built. And just down the beach, this <clears throat> 45,000 square foot this sort of mega mansion shingle stall house went up and the and the walkway to the beach is made of pure teak, you know, and it's all stainless steel plugs. I mean, it's extraordinary. That walkway must have cost $100,000 or more just, you know, to get onto the beach. And then another guy up the beach saw that and tore his down and built an even fancier one, all within the last month or so. So, you know, it, there's a lot of just that ego territoriality going on, too. Yeah. Well, we're gonna. I'd like to come back after our break and and continue with the conversation about pretentious architecture and our sort of crazy culture that is propelling this forward. I'd like to let everyone know that they are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Millman, and my guests today are Jake Gorst, Andrew Geller, Alistair Gordon, and David Shearer. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages. Please don't go away. When business is in your blood and you need answers, get connected. Call 1-866-233-7861. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Business talk is all we do. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Achieve total wealth management. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Roy Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern on Business America Radio. Three-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a values-based approach to comprehensive total wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road of financial independence. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Roy Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, businessamericaradio.com. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Live from the AITA Leadership Retreat in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the air focusing on issues relating to graphic design, branding, and culture. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and my wonderful guests today are Jake Gorst, Andrew Geller, Alistair Gordon, and David Shearer. If you want to join our conversation or have a question for any of us, please call 1-866-233-7861. 
before the break, we were talking about the architecture in our culture right now and its tendency to be somewhat ostentatious and garish. And Jake was talking about a connection he felt to a project that he and Alistair are currently working on. Jake, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, thanks to Alistair. Alistair's been working on this wonderful project on the architect Norman Jaffe. He's written a book and and is working on a film and you know, I'm I'm grateful for the fact that he asked me to work with him on the film. And in the course of some of these interviews that that he conducted, um, a few people were talking about Jaffe and how he was actually trying to humble some of these these um wealthy clients that he had. In in one particular case he built a stereo cabinet down on the floor so that the homeowner would actually have to get down on his knees. To <laughs> the ultimate in humility. <laughs> exactly. You know, um, you know, I think it's very interesting because Jaffe, for one, and you know, I'm sure many other architects have actually attempted to do that um, in a sly sort of way. You know, to what a cheeky monkey. Yeah. In fact, Alistair didn't didn't Jaffe have some sort of a theory on architecture changing people? Yeah, he did, but he gave it. He he believed if you had the right combination of light and space and scale of proportion and all that, that you could somehow enter these guys' souls and you know turn them around. But he he eventually gave up on that and started to just do the religious structures like the Jewish Center of the Hamptons and you know skyscrapers like Five Sixty Five for that. Well, it's still very spiritual then, which yeah. I guess would yeah, essentially would be trying to take you to a more spiritual place. Yeah. But I, mean, I think Andy, your Andy Jake, I mean, I know just from the the redecoration that I've done in my home, it has fundamentally changed the way I feel about being there, the way, and even the way I feel about myself. And my brother, many many years ago, worked um, in a lighting store, and he was convinced that lighting really could calibrate a person's psychology depending on how it was used. And I always thought that was a marvelous, a marvelous quote. Um, we have a caller. We have Jennifer from Los Angeles. Jennifer, welcome to Design Matters. Hi. Thank you so much. Um, I actually have a question for all the guests. Um, Wonderful. Wondering, uh, do you do you all feel that the environmental challenges that we're facing in today's world um, are a hindrance or an opportunity for architectural creativity? Um, why don't we ask Mr. Geller that question first? I knew you would do that. The... Uh influence the outside influence certainly has an effect on what an architect does uh, if he is sensitive he will automatically react and uh, produce something that uh, either complements or distracts uh, from a way of life that uh, is continually changing or should be if it isn't so um that open mind that an architect should have uh, comes into play. I don't know if that answers your question or not. Does that answer your question, Jennifer from Los Angeles? That was great. Um, what about Alistair? I'd love to get your opinion on this. I'd like to get everybody's opinion on this. It's a great question. It is a great question. I think it's absolutely you know paramount now. I think if you're a serious young architect, it's what you got to think about before almost anything else. And the most interesting work going on in the world right now, I think, is coming out of, you know, there's green, there's self-conscious green design, and then there's just really good green design, too, which is, you know, taking the entire picture, you know, global picture into into perspective and trying to work out of that. And it's not, it doesn't always mean just 
you know, BTUs and, and things like that. A lot of the early green design movement tended, I think, to bend over backwards to actually have a conservative kind of aesthetic, but I don't think that, you know, company, uh, firms like Future Systems in Britain and some of the German firms have you know, proved that you can be in, very environmentally correct and also, you know, have a kind of a new, you know, modern vision or a future vision of what the world's going to look like. But it's absolutely, to me, the, you know, the, the key. I think uh, there's also some wonderful things happening now in, with environmental prefab houses, environmentally conscious prefab. I've been reading a lot about that. What, what is your opinion of that, Alistair? Well, the, again, I think that's also where, where those two things together, you know, and it's, we're st- I've been covering that a lot in the newspapers and magazines. That's, we're, I, I'm continuously sa- about to say, oh, here it is, you know, the Rosetta Stone, this is the perfect formula for the ideal prefab house. But the, the problem has been, you know, mundane, everyday things like septic systems that, you know, in the end you still you can design the most perfect little cube, prefab cube, but you got to plug it into the earth somehow, and you have to deal with some local guy who, you know, digs the hole and does the excavation. And that's really the problem. And when Target or some mass market genius company gets a hold of one of these things and really figures it out, I think it will be, it will be the future. You know, you'll be able to go online and order XYZ house in pink, you know, with so many windows, and, and it'll be delivered a week later, like your J. Crew order. And I, I do think that's going to come. I don't know when. Ever it's so going. slightly reminiscent of Leisurama. Um, yeah, Dave, yeah, or David, yeah. anything you'd like to add to our caller's question? Sure, this is David. I think there's a great opportunity that exists right now for architecture and, and for the future of architecture. And, and, and basically, it kind of gets back to the basics of good design. And good design is good design, and it's something as you alluded to earlier that you feel. And I think that, uh, you know, we, we can do what Alistair says and, and create something that, you know, it's like ordering you know, a car online or whatever. You can pick out, you know, what you want and have it delivered. And it's, I mean, the technology exists and it's there. It's, it's just a matter of kind of getting, I think, big business to the point where they can accept, you know, the fact. And also we have a lot of various trades that uh, get involved as well. I know there was... Uh, Story about uh, a, a prefab that was actually supposed to kind of save America, called the Lustron House, which came uh, out post-war. And Elster, I think, probably knows quite a bit about this, but it was something that, that you know was failed because it didn't uh, address kind of the infrastructure that was in place at the time. But I think now is a good time to uh, to look at this again and, and try to make it happen. Jake, any any final words on our caller's question? I don't know what I can add to it. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much, Jennifer from Los Angeles, for joining us on Design Matters. Um, speaking of retailers, I don't know if any of you happen to see this today. This is on CNN.com, and it really just caused me to shudder. This is the headline. Eminent domain, a big box bonanza. Court's ruling okayed land grab for businesses like Target, Home Depot, Costco, Bed Bath, and beyond. The Supreme Court may have just delivered an early Christmas gift to the nation's biggest retailers by its ruling Thursday, allowing governments to take private land for business development. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what's your opinion? And not that I need to really ask that question, but I'd still like to hear it for the record. Well, um... You know, I, I I don't know what the story is behind that. Really, I 
You know, I, I had uh, heard about it. I know of an individual recently, uh, an author, who um, is losing his house to eminent domain, and uh, I think that's to make way for a um, for a highway. You know, sort of reminiscent of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, it's making way for a a bypass, and uh, uh, it's it, to me, it's it's kind of scary. I mean, if 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 you could lose your home and and it becomes a target, you know, it's 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 sad. Andrew, Mr. Geller, please please tell us what you think of this. Well, it's another aspect of um, illusion. Illusion in what way? The pretense of uh, having something that. Johnny down the street has and, mm-hmm. uh, and bigger, better, and it's bad taste generally that uh, drives uh, in the, these new directions. I mean, I can understand a municipal court or a state court allowing something like this, but the Supreme Court, I mean, that for me is just the ultimate blow that they're allowing this to happen. Um, one of the things that I have to read you this part of the article. Retailers such as Target, Home Depot, and Bed Bath & Beyond have thus far managed to keep the eminent domain issue under the radar and sidestep a prickly public relations problem even as these companies continue to expand their footprint into more urban residential areas where prime retail space isn't always easily found. Um, Prickly public relations problem is probably a bit of an understatement in terms of how I think the public could respond to something like this. Imagine in your sort of small and quaint little Chappaqua, New York town, having a Home Depot move next to your house. I mean, to me that just is absurd and in many, many ways really violates a lot of our rights as as people and and certainly our privacy rights, but it's probably a whole separate show in and of itself. Um, David, what's your thought on this? Keeping up with the Joneses, it's a pretense, and uh, most people have bad taste. Why is that? Simplified by following the uh, current magazine article uh, on what good taste is all about. And uh, that's wrong. Uh, They they act in unison as a uh, mass drive toward bad architecture and bad art. Uh, Well, we're going to have to come back after the break and talk about what we believe is the reason for all of this bad taste in our culture today. Money. money. Uh, money. Well, um, listeners, you are on Design Matters with Debbie Millman on the Voice America Business Network. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages. Please don't go away. More and more people are starting their day with informative, focused business talk. Top experts. Today's business issues. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. What stock should I buy? When is it time to sell? Where do I turn for honest advice on my portfolio? For the answers to these questions, tune in to Trading in Today's Markets with Oliver Velez and Greg Capra every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. On the show, Oliver, Greg, and their guests will discuss the daily going-ons of Wall Street as well as give you tips on how to identify the hottest sectors and trends in the market. Improve your portfolio. Listen to Trading in Today's Markets with Oliver Velez and Greg Capra. Broadcast live on Business America Radio every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 
Business talk is all we do. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Are your accounts stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic? Are your finances flowing at two miles an hour? It's time to crank your cash into high gear by tuning in to Making Sense of Financial Nonsense with Bullseye Bruce Horowitz. Every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Bullseye Bruce will give you no-nonsense, common-sense financial advice that anyone can understand, as well as bring you clarity on some of the most complex and confusing financial issues today. So get out of that traffic jam and listen to Making Sense of Financial Nonsense every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Are you interested in the immigration laws that are increasingly affecting the way we all live? Then you need to tune in to Learner on Immigration every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Business America Radio. Host Brian Lerner, a certified specialist in immigration and nationality law, will give you updates on current immigration laws and allow you to call in and have your questions answered. The immigration policies of this country affect us all. Find out how on Learner on Immigration with certified specialist Brian Lerner. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in Business Talk, BusinessAmericaRadio.com. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll-free at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, that's 1-866-233-7861. And now, back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back, listeners. It is 3.48 Eastern Time, and you're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the AIGA Leadership Retreat in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and I have four extraordinary gentlemen on my show today, Jake Gorst, Andrew Geller, Alistair Gordon, and David Shearer. Before the break, we were talking about the lack of taste in our culture. I'd like to talk about that a little bit more, but we do have a caller on the line, Tom from Illinois. Welcome to Design Matters. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, Uh, welcome. I have a question. I've been um, listening to you talk, Debbie, about redoing your apartment, and uh, (laughs) it's, it's making me very jealous because I rent. Uh, and I'm looking to buy in the near future, but uh, so I can't invest too much money on redesigning the apartment, though I'm very desperate to. Okay. So I wanted to know what advice you had for someone that didn't have a lot of money or ability to change the apartment they're living in, but wanted to make a change. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say buy sparingly and only buy the best that you possibly can so that it'll last for as long as possible. Don't buy any crap. Mm-hmm. Just buy the best best you could possibly afford and just build on that. Gentlemen, any any other advice for Tom from Illinois? Well, when at a loss as to what to get, get a uh, good Indian blanket. (laughs) (laughs) There you have it. Thanks for calling, Tom. Um, I'd like to uh, use this last uh, segment in our show today to talk a little bit more about the recent projects that are guests are working on, and one of the interesting things about my guests is that they all have a a common goal in preserving our cultural history in terms of design and architecture that not only extends to physical buildings, but also creates a verbal and a visual documentation through exhibitions and documentaries and books and symposia, and one of the big efforts that our guests are working on today is to preserve a house called the Pearl Roth House, and 
David or Jake, do you want to talk a little bit about your efforts in saving this house and, and how it's come about and what you're doing and what you need? Uh, sure. This is David. I'll start. And um, getting back to the, uh, the kind of the bad taste thing, I think um, that it's something that you know my European friends accuse me of and Americans in general of all the time. But I don't really think that it's necessarily that we have bad taste. I think that a lot of the reason why uh, uh, Mr. Giller may feel that way is because we, we haven't had the education or been exposed to good design um, like maybe some of our uh, European friends. But it's something that's changing, and I think uh, as the director of a, a nonprofit organization uh, called Exhibitions International, um, we're doing programming like exhibitions and symposia and documentaries all the time that will try to um, bring to people's attention what good design is and to actually expose them to good design. And that's actually how uh, I got involved with the Pearl Roth House. Uh, it, um, it, it was designed by Andrew Geller and who's Jake's grandfather. Jake was uh, did the Leisurama film, which was part of the programming that uh, we did uh, through Exhibitions International uh, in conjunction with the American Institute of Architects here in New York, and a film series uh, that we did called New Housing Then, uh, which, by the way, our next uh, series is going to feature Alistair Gordon. Oh, wonderful. Uh, How serendipitous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're kind of all uh, converging uh, at once here, but it's... Um, the Pearl Roth House is one of uh, Andrew Gare's very, I think, special houses and very iconic in terms of his work. And uh, it came to Jake's attention that uh, the house would be demolished to make way for a larger structure. Um, it's owned by the son of uh, Mr. Pearl Roth, who um, didn't necessarily want to tear it down, but really didn't have uh, the means to do anything with it, so he offered it to Jake. And uh, maybe Jake can pick up the story there, but, uh, sure. As soon as I heard about it, I went to David and told him what was happening, and he basically said, "Oh, well, we can we can do this, Jake. This is what we do." You know? Why would somebody want to take the house down? Well, it has to do with the fact that um, in the '70s there were additional structures put on the site, and those are starting to decay. They're falling apart. They weren't very well built. These extra things, and and uh, in order for him to make repairs or, you know, do anything to the house, building codes have changed. He'd have to make significant changes to the original structure. Why would he even want to? Well, he he doesn't, really. Oh, you know? okay. So that's why, that's why uh, he basically said, you know, I, I, I'm faced with this situation. I don't know how to deal with it. And that's when, you know, all of a sudden his eyes lit up. He said, Jake, do you want the house? You can take it, you know. <laughs> and... uh so, you know, immediately we started to try to find a way to save the house. And we got in touch with an architect out in West Hampton Beach who uh, named Ann Surchin, who, who in turn got us in touch with uh, the town of Southampton um, and uh, found out that they do have a piece of property that they wanted to make available to put the house on. Um, they're very much interested in preserving the, I guess you'd say, mid-century architecture in the area, and uh, so that that's that's where it's where it stands. And we've been working on trying to find ways of getting the house to this property. Um, it's not easy moving things like this because you have to deal with phone lines and 
electric lines going, you know, the house passing underneath and whatnot. But we're we're working all of that out. Right now we're just waiting for various permits from the town in order to proceed, and we continue to do fundraising. Which if, so if I, I'm sorry. If, oh, I'm sorry. No, if, no. if I might, may say, if anybody listening is interested in helping us, <laughs> um, go to Exhibitions International's website, which is ei-ny.org, and there's information on how you can help support the saving of the Proroth House, which, um, you know, it, it, it looks very promising. I think we're going to do it. Oh, good. Well, for anybody that's listening that is truly interested in preserving good taste in our culture, this is a very worthwhile cause, so I, I really urge our listeners to try and help this really Maybe noble, can I noble mission. There? Pardon? Could I add something to that? Of course you can. Yeah, I just would love to say something about, very quickly, about the role that, that local municipalities can play in the preservation, especially experimental architecture, which otherwise is very difficult to preserve, as Jake is facing now. And until there was a famous Peter Blake house in Southampton that was pretty much ruined because the township refused any kind of variances to help preserve it, until until the municipalities are really willing to, you know, go easy on some of the, you know, building codes and restrictions, it's going to be very, very difficult to save these especially these small, crazy, you know, wonderful expressions from that period. Well, thank you. I, I really hope that our listeners do step up to the plate. Um, one of the last questions I want to ask you is an enormous question, and please forgive me, all four of you, for having to, to put this to you. It's such a late moment in our show, but I just have to. Um, one of the one of the um, quotes, in, again, in Alistair's book, um, and this, I love this, um, this is, this is from uh, this is something that Andrew Geller stated in his reflecting on his early training. One of the first lessons I ever was taught was this. The thing you produce ought to be compatible with what's there. It should live with it both in scale and some sort of human factor. The scale is human. So I have to ask you all, and I'm sorry to do this, but how does that figure into, say, the plans for the new buildings at Ground Zero? Well, I... Gilligan again. And, okay. Uh, this, uh, that statement applies to anything ever being built and uh, consideration for the site, the needs of the occupants uh, in a house or an office building or any kind of building mm-hmm. or function has to respond to the need. And uh, it dictates what the house should be in size uh, in relation to other surrounding houses uh, and the mountainside. So um, it's important to consider each house for its own merits and not have a formulated uh, approach that uh, limits you or your design uh, to something uh, that resembles a box. Uh, uh, there's plenty of time for that shape to occur in your coffin. Mm-hmm. Can I say something? Yes, and then unfortunately um, we're going to have to end this show, but I'd love to hear what you have to say, Jake. Okay. Well, as far as Ground Zero is concerned, um, you know, it's it's difficult to say. I mean, look at Manhattan. Manhattan is not <laughs> in human scale, you know. That's true. Um, 
it's it'll it will be interesting to see what materializes down there. Um, you know, I, I know that there's quite a bit of debate on on how high the the, the tower is going to be and and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I think I think no matter what you do, you're in in Lower Manhattan is going to be out of human scale. Yeah. Well, for my listeners that are interested in any more of the projects, the books, the documentaries that my four esteemed guests are working on, please feel free to go to the DebbieMillman.com website. All of the links are there, and you should be able to find all four of my guests that way. And I sadly like to say that we've come to the end of our broadcast. I'd like to thank my four amazing guests, Andrew Geller, Alistair Gordon, David Shearer, and a very, very special thanks to Jake Gorst, a man who has become a good friend and helped put this entire show together. I'd like to thank the kind and very patient people at Voice America Business, Denise Dion, Chris Hilliard, Lori Call, Robert Arkin, my executive producer, Brian Travis, and a very special shout-out to my program production manager, Ruben Colomb, who has covered my ass today. I'd also like to thank the staff and my partners at Sterling Group, my incredible producer, Lisa Grant, my chief researcher, Jen Simon. Please join me next week for a wonderful guest, author and auteur Nicholas Blackman. Thank you for listening. And remember, we can make we can talk about making a difference, or we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Melman and I look forward to talking with you next week. Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Melman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.